Welcome to Born to Remember. I am your host, Joe Soria. After decades of hearing stories, tidbits, and pieces of information, I finally decided to sit down and record the memorable life of my grandmother, Claire Soria, directly from the source. From her youth in Belgium, her years in hiding as a Jewish child during World War II, her difficult immigration to the U.S., her courtship with my grandpa Jerry, and so much more. My initial intention was to have a back-and-forth conversation, but each time we sat down for a Sunday afternoon Zoom, my grandma came very prepared, as she always does. So a good portion of this podcast is her telling me her life story from her notes. If you listen closely, you can even hear her flipping through her papers. In the latter portion of this episode and others to come, you will hear some snippets of an extended conversation with my sisters, Jessica and Jacqueline, related to the topics discussed in the episode and how we remember hearing about them to give you a bit of a family feel. I am honored to be entrusted with these stories. Spending a summer of Sundays with my grandma during the height of COVID, ensuring her stories were captured as she wanted, was an honor, and I only hope I did them a modicum of justice. This is Born to Remember, Claire Soria, Episode 1. I was born in Brussels, Belgium, in Laken, L-A-E-K-E-N. It's like a suburb of Brussels, a very small country that is strategically located in the heart of Europe between France, Germany, the Netherlands, and England. I was five years old at the beginning of World War II and witnessed firsthand what it was like to be treated as an inferior human being. I also witnessed another side of the war, I learned that there are good people out there who are were willing to risk their lives by hiding Jewish people and children like me. I learned to rise above every obstacle that I had to face with the support of these wonderful neighbors who didn't hesitate to hide me. They believed that what they did was the right thing to do, regardless of consequences. It was difficult for me to understand why my life was spared while people, including loved ones where I lived, were rounded up and brutally taken away. I speak about my life in the hope that people today will learn, as I did, the need to rise over the challenges in life, just like I had to learn to do. Every year, it seems as if I get a little bit more information. It's it's strange. I I thought that once you reach a certain time in your life, that everything that you know, that's it. But it's not necessarily so. And uh, I will be talking quite a bit about Nina, who happened to have been my favorite cousin, uh, seven years older than me. And uh, until the war... Every place we went, uh, we went together. And you're familiar with that, Joe, because you had that with your cousin Henry's family and how you got together with them. So that's how it was for me until I was six years old. She was denounced to the Nazis at the age of 18 and miraculously survived the Holocaust. I never asked her about the horror she endured And only recently, at the age of 90, she decided to write her story. I asked if I could have a copy 
I was so surprised the day I received it. She asked me not to share her story with anyone. I can, however, divulge information about members of our family who perished during the Holocaust, which means that other than my mother and father, who I know uh, passed away during the Holocaust, uh, I never met my grandparents who still lived in Poland or any of the relatives that stayed behind because they all lost their lives during the Holocaust. So this is what I learned from Nina. Nina's father, his name was Shlomo Meister, grew up in a shtetl in Ripin, Poland. Being a Jew and communist in Poland, he feared for his life. He decided to see if he could find work in a coal mine in the Wallens section of Belgium. Belgium actually is bilingual. You have part of Belgium where actually you can almost say three languages. Part of Belgium in the center, which is Brussels, the capital, they have two languages. They have uh, French and the other language is Flemish, which they teach in school, both languages. Uh, I, when I lived in Belgium, I personally spoke mainly French. As you go south, they have like, they have here, you have, uh, once you go from the north to the south, the way that people speak is a little bit different. And uh, it's almost like the south of Belgium, and that's called Wallon. And the people there were called Wallons. And over there, they had uh, coal mines. And my uncle found out that if he signed up to work in a coal mine, he could establish residency and they would let him come. Just like you have here, they have people that go from Mexico to work in the fields in America. In Belgium, they had coal mines where they needed people to work. So um, he came to Belgium in 1929. So his daughter Nina, being very young, she must have been about two years old at the time, remained with her mother and grandmother, Hinda, which was her father's mother and family. And they, what they did in order for uh, her father to come to Belgium, they sold all of their belongings to help pay for him to move to Belgium. First of all, had he not moved to Belgium, being uh, they feared for his life. So that's how he was able to first come to Belgium and work in the coal mines. And this was in Poland? Exactly. Then you had uh, Nina's maternal grandmother, and that was m my father's mother. She lived in a poor village but came from a proud family. They lived in wooden homes on muddy grounds in Ripien, which is halfway between Warsaw and Gdansk and Dubjan, about 20 kilometers from Ripien. Dubjan is where there was a huge massacre 
in 1939, where they killed hundreds of Jewish people. This was before World War II in Belgium. And she even mentioned that a man would come by each day delivering water that he collected at the fountain, which he carried over his shoulders, holding two uh, barrels, I guess it was, or pails. And this is how they got their water from someone who delivered water in those days when she was about two, three years old. Leia Mitnovietska, which is actually my maiden name, my aunt, who is also Nita's mother, my dad's sister, she had three brothers. My dad, Nathan or, or Nachman, and two brothers who joined the army in 1914-1918. One of the brothers saw the other get shot, and when he returned home, he never spoke a word after that happened. My grandfather, that's uh, Nina's grandfather, my grandfather, his name was Herschel, and he slept in a fold-up bed. Nina's grandmother, my grandmother, was very energetic, resourceful, always prepared to face any problem that came her way. The majority of Jews lived in Ripien. The, the one from her father's side of the family was Hinda. I'm pretty sure I have her name someplace too. I'll have to look it up. Polish sympathizers visit and light the fire for the Jewish people on the Sabbath. Poland does not welcome Jews. They are forbidden to attend school and rarely allowed to enter a classroom. Those who were allowed had to stand at the back of the room. My father, Nachman, or Nathan, is I knew him. His brother-in-law, that's Nina's father, was Shlomo, as I told you, and who moved to Belgium in 29 with another brother-in-law, Beryl Regutkovich. I also called him uncle. When Nina's father was able to send for my father and Beryl, they all worked together in the mines. In French, we say Wallon mines for two years in order to get permit to stay temporarily in Belgium. How many siblings did your father have? Yeah, I think altogether they were three. And uh, one of them saw his brother being shot. This, I believe, was during World War One, And when he went back home, Nina mentioned that he never spoke again, I guess, from the shock. And then it was my dad. So there were three brothers. My father was intelligent and cultured and a socialist, not a communist. He did not believe in bloody revolution, but evolution. He joined in the Spanish War in, uh, um, I'm not sure if it's, International Brigade, it's INT apostrophe L Brigade. He became an officer, survived, but as you know, ultimately, he ended up in Auschwitz. And Nina cannot speak 
enough about her beloved Uncle Nachman. She adored him. In 1933, Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. Neighbors of Nina's family were coal miners or sold coal. So possibly the fact that uh, they lived in a coal mining area, that probably made it easier for my uncle to uh, get a permit to move to Brussels when he did. Then in 1940, when Germany invaded Belgium, my father actually decided to evacuate and leave for England towards France. En route, they tried to pass as bush. Bush is a slang word that we used in Belgium when we talked about the Germans who invaded Belgium. In fear of getting caught, they turned back to Belgium, but they did try to leave in 1940. In May of 1942, a proclamation for the persecution of Jews in Belgium was instituted, demanding that Jews wear a Jewish star on their clothes. Nina and her mom, my aunt, moved to a farm. They were parents of employees of her father, Uncle Shlomo. At the time, he ran a tailor shop. Because there were too many of them, some moved in with her dad's lady friend, her mom's best friend. During the war, Nina's father was friends of the patriotic militia of Scarbeck, which is a suburb of Brussels. Nina was 15 at the time. She insisted at an early age that she could not go to school, she could not go to work. Being Jewish, you were forbidden any of the things that anybody else was able to do. So she said, I'm not going to just sit home and do nothing. And she knew that her dad and my dad were in the underground, so she insisted. And people in the undergrounds did not want her to be included. They felt she was too young, and they feared also that something might happen to her. So she didn't care. Jewish people were allowed to go to the store after dark or after a certain time, you know, at the beginning of the war, not later on. So she would have sort of a, a tablecloth in a, on top of a basket to show that she was possibly buying some bread or something for the house. Once she even delivered a gun in a baby carriage, she would hide anything that was important and deliver it to certain addresses. And on this particular day, she believes that someone reported her and she got caught. And from there, she was interrogated and she too was deported to Auschwitz. She even said that knowing that my father was there gave her the will to keep going. And some of the people who had been arrested and who my father had helped, or my father might have helped people from their family, knew of him. He was extremely well known. So because she was his niece, she was able to get some things that others may not, favors, if you want to call it that. 
but she had to use her wits a lot, and that she did not want me to discuss. But the fact that my father was so beloved by so many people, she doesn't stop talking about how much she cared for him. She was there to the very end of the war, and uh, what she does write about is that when she was freed, being a woman was not easy for her either because the men who were freed uh, were afraid that a woman in their midst might be a, a problem for them, that she might not keep up with them, she would not be able to uh, do the things that they would be able to do. So she was left to really be on her own most of the time, and she was always afraid to be in the wrong hands. She didn't know who to trust at all. When you come to visit me, I will show you a picture on my wall of Nina. She must have been maybe seven, eight years old, holding an Easter basket with little chicks in them. And this was on the cover of a magazine taken before the war. She was so precious that uh, they chose this little girl to be on the magazine. Little did we know that the day would come where she would get deported to Auschwitz. I don't know if you got these pictures. She's about to hang out with her foster sister this week. In the mall? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, she wants to do a, a Skype with me. Can you set up our Skype with uh, Nina? Is what, like in her 90s? Oh, yeah, that would be a treat for her. That would be a treat. And like they, they've been calling, but I think Nina got moved and lost her number. And somehow grandma found out, called her. And I was like, well, I could try to facilitate this, but it sounds like it. A logistical nightmare a little bit. <laughs> and grandma's like, she's like, I'll call you this weekend. We'll figure it out. I'm like, I don't know if that call's going to help out at all. And it's interesting because, you know, I knew a lot of this stuff, but I didn't know Nina's stories like secret. Like it's still like under wraps the whole thing pretty much. So I get like little snippets of it. And grandma said that Nina wrote her like life story out on a letter. And grandma's the only one that has it. She mentioned that. <laughs> I would feel bad listening in. I also don't speak French or Belgian or, or Flemish or Yiddish they're going to speak. So I don't know, but I, I feel like I have to try to figure that one out. I went all the way to Belgium to meet her. I mean, not all the way. I was in France. So I just, I took a train. So you met her? Yeah, I did. I met her. I stayed with her one night. She let me and my friend stay with her because we were on our travels and um, I let her know we were, that I wanted to prioritize seeing her. But what's funny is, you know, I was hoping to really learn more about her. Grandma always looked up to her so much. She told me how brave she was, like what she went through, but she never told me any details about it because I trust that Grandma really didn't know that much either, aside from maybe just shadows of like things she had to do and how she was beautiful. And she kind of like worked with everything she had to make it through um, the concentration camps. But when I met Nina, I guess Grandma hadn't really shared this with me or expressed this in advance, but Nina just wanted to show me all of her pictures, like from when she was young, like how beautiful she was. Like <laughs> grandma always showed me that like magazine she was on, right? When she was a little girl, but she took a lot of pride too in, in her looks as like a yeah, slightly older woman and when she got married and 
all I know is that she shared her amazing pictures with me and not too much of the juicy, I guess, heavy stuff. But you know what? It was it was great nonetheless to be be there in Grandma's honor and at least get a chance to to meet someone Grandma loves so much. Yeah, I can see that Grandma always looked up to her because she was so so beautiful and confident and strong. We just don't even know the the full scope of it. Nina was in Auschwitz and survived. That's part of it. Yeah, she was survived and and she was also there to help Grandma come to America eventually after the war too. She was involved in. A lot of this stuff. So I guess before I even spoil all that or whatever, I'm actually curious because I guess we've never, we always get the stories from grandma, I feel like separately or in these piecemeals, but I always feel like it's kind of a one-to-one scenario. Like if I ask you, what is the early life story or like, what do you know, I guess, of her story, Jackie, I'll, I'll start with you. Like you said, you understood some of the Nina story and you did meet Nina. So I feel like you get these, but, and I know Jess has the, the album. So I don't know if you actually read it all or whatever else, but. What do you know? Yeah, that's kind of all I know. I know that Nina was like a little, is a little older than grandma. And she was probably like a teenager when she was in the concentration camps. And all I really know is she was beautiful and just grandma never really said it, but it, it made me think that she used her looks to kind of ingratiate herself and survive. Yeah, and survive. There's a couple of things going on with the jobs. So interestingly, I didn't know this, but grandma's father went there first to Belgium with her brothers. The brothers kept bringing the brothers over like they do kind of now with immigrants. So you had to work, earn your keep. They worked in the mines. In Belgium? In Belgium, they worked in mines. And then when they kept coming, eventually he was able to bring her there. And the reason they were doing that is because they lived very close to a village that had a huge massacre of its own before World War II. So there was a Polish-Jewish massacre, basically. A pogrom? Basically a pogrom. I don't think it's considered that because it's a little later. But yeah, it's an anti-Semitic issue in an area called Dubjin. And it was in the early to mid-30s. So a lot of Polish people from that area left. So that's why they were all getting out of there. So they went to Poland to Belgium to have a better life. And within a few years, that life was ruined. And then her life was ruined. And then she gets to go to America. And then again have this cycle. The first thing people, when I, they ask me something about this, and I'm just like, I'm shocked when you hear these stories that you don't hold any grudges, you know, and I'm sure she actually has grudges, right? Or at least has frustration, but she doesn't send it out. There are many people that are of that age that are very bitter about things that happen to them whenever. So just kind of fascinating. Sadly, I never did get to set up that call between Grandma and Nina. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Nina Meister, who passed away in Belgium in the winter of 2021. Thank you for listening to Born to Remember Claire Soria. You can find more information and links to the topics discussed in our episode notes at borntorememberpodcast.com. Each episode will also include a link to a select charity that any proceeds from the episode and series will go. Any support you wish to give will also be more than appreciated. Follow us for the latest episodes and more on the Born to Remember Claire Soria Facebook group. You can also reach us directly at borntorememberpodcast at gmail.com. This series was created, directed, written, and produced by Joe Soria. Edited by Leland Holden and Joe Soria. Additional production assistance by Kate Lakota. 
Original music by Chris Morgan. A special thanks to my sisters, Jessica Soria Krasinski and Jacqueline Soria, for joining me in the sibling chat sections. Another big thank you to Robert Soria for helping me set up and record the interviews in Florida. And of course, the biggest thanks goes to Claire Soria. Love you, Grandma. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. This has been an Arrow production. <laughs>